Yes, AI is greatly useful wherever there is data, wherever there is pattern recognition within data. Of course, AI is going to be uh, of tremendous help. But again, the question comes to when you start using in a way that it is impacting the diagnosis or it is impacting the treatment of a patient. That's where you are crossing that line. That's where... What's up, everybody? This is Harsh from Cultivate.com, and you're listening to the Life Sciences 360 podcast. On this show, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders to learn about their stories, ideas, and insights, and how their role helps bring new therapies to patients. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. All right, we're live. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life Sciences 360 from wherever you are. I know I don't say this enough, but if you enjoy listening to this show and the guests that we have on here, please, please, please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. And if you watch the YouTube videos that we upload every week, would love for you to subscribe on that channel as well so we can continue bringing you a lot of guests and insights from the life sciences industry. And talking about people from the industry, today I have with me Vivek Tucker. He is a regulatory professional specializing in artificial intelligence and machine learning based software as medical devices. He is, uh, he has about 14 years of experience. He's worked with some big companies like Abbott, Cardinal Health and Roche, and also a lot of medical device and med tech startups. And I'm really excited to have him on the show because AI in healthcare is one of the most hyped and buzzed topics right now on all social media and all regulatory conversations. So welcome to the show, Vivek. Hey, thank you, Harsh. Thank you for having me here. And uh, yeah, you are absolutely right. There's a lot of buzz around AI and of course, uh, the application of AI in healthcare too. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this. So uh, the first thing that anytime I hear about AI, the first thing that comes to my mind is that AI is like a, a dog who is not on a leash and walking around in a yard that doesn't have a fence. <laughs> uh, so any person that I talk to, that that's kind of the impression I get. Being in your shoes, what you're doing with the medtech startups and the medtech companies, where is that line? Because to me, it's I still don't know when artificial intelligence falls into the medical device bucket and when is when it should be left alone so what is your take on that yeah no that's that's a great question harsh so as as you rightly pointed out there's a lot of presence of ai everywhere today and i think the hype right now is more because of these large language models and and chat gpt and bard and everything but uh, ai has been there since a long time and ai has been used in healthcare applications also right now there are more than more than 500 AI ML devices that are in market, which are cleared by FDA. So, so there is a lot of things going on. But what happens is, healthcare is a, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a, there are a lot of applications of AI in healthcare. You can use AI to automate the billing system. You can use AI to automatically file your claims or summarize something or you can use for hospital management and everything. Everything is within the care delivery umbrella. But what happens is whenever wherever you start using AI in a way that it exposes really high risk to patient, uh, that's when it comes under the realm of being regulated or to be specific as a medical device. Everything is about risk. Everything is about risk in healthcare. So 
as the risk increases, the regulation increases. Yeah, you you brought up a good point about regulation because even that's a topic from from what I've been researching is that there isn't a clear guidance from any regulatory agencies about what a reg, what a company should do if they are creating either AI-based software as medical devices or just using AI for clinical research in the biotech or pharma world. So what I wanted to ask you is, if some company identifies, if a startup identifies that they are actually dealing with an AI, which is possibly a medical device, how should they even go about figuring out what regulations apply? Because there's not enough from the regulatory agencies itself. Actually, to be uh, honest uh, and, and to be fair on the regulatory agency side, I mean, uh, there are a lot of guidance documents out there. And, and let's, I'm, I'm only focus on FDA right now because there, there are so many things going on around the world that we can have like five different discussions on, on other agencies. But for FDA, they have uh, they have been very active uh, since last few years in terms of promoting these digital health technologies and putting together a regulatory framework around them. So there are a bunch of different guidances. There is in, in last couple of years, they have a division within the medical device uh, center called uh, Digital Health Center of Excellence. And that division is responsible. Uh, one of the responsibilities is to oversee the AI machine learning based devices. So there's a lot going on, but you, you have to see it from a point of view that what are the overall regulations, right? I mean, yeah, we are trying to see if these devices are safe and effective because they are used for medical purpose. So the framework that has been developed for medical devices is being used for AI and machine learning based tools also. Now, many places it works, but there are a lot of places where it doesn't work too. So then you, the manufacturers or the med tech companies, they have to be very innovative in terms of putting together a regulatory strategy to see how they can satisfy these requirements. So I would say don't wait for the regulations to be in place. Uh, instead, try and work with FDA. Try and educate them also in terms of what kind of validation methods you are using, what kind of performance tests you are using. So that way, the whole framework is being developed uh, together by industry and by the regulators. Have you come across any example of where like the traditional med device regulations may not apply for AI? Because I know you mentioned that in some cases, companies can start using that as a baseline. But do you know in any case where it may not apply? Yeah, there are many cases, of course, because, I mean, the obvious ones are the one that are related to manufacturing. Of course, uh, you know, the manufacturing of a device, hardware, medical device, there are so many regulation standards that, that of course, they don't apply to software because, you know, you, there's nothing to manufacture there. But apart from those obvious ones, I, I think the one important differentiation that I see, and there are a lot of challenges around that also, is the iterative nature of these AI machine learning based tools. By nature, uh, they want to artificial intelligence or, or when we say artificial intelligence in medical devices, we mean machine learning, which is like a subset of the whole artificial intelligence world. So yeah, so when you are using machine learning based uh, technologies, I think the machine learns and then it um, you know provides output for a totally different situation. Now, if the machine keeps learning when it is used in real world, then the output can be different. So the idea is for a medical device manufacturer to make sure that the performance doesn't change over time. And therefore, when a traditional medical device changes in the world, in, in the real world, 
then there is a regulatory application that you have to do. But for AI, you cannot keep doing applications for every release, every new release uh, of, of the software. So that's a big challenge. Where that's a big difference where the continuous improvement algorithms are still not something that are, are being out there and, and not being reviewed or not being accepted by FDA. FDA always requires your algorithm to be locked. And, and by lock, it means that, yes, yes you, can, you can rev it up later, but then when you release it, it has to be locked. And when you are revving it up, you have to go through a regulatory process. Um, but again, just to also answer your previous question, that what, what, are, what are regulatory agencies doing? They recently, most recently, they uh, released a draft guidance document on how to manage these post-market changes for AI machine learning based devices. It's called uh, the predetermined change control plan. Um, and, and you know I can link it in the resources, but uh, that's a great guidance to look at uh, for companies who are trying to do uh, continuous improvement algorithms. Interesting. That's that's good to know. I, I wanted to switch gears and ask you about the clinical research side of things, right? So w- what have you seen from how the clinical trial process is done for a just a software as medical device versus AI-based software as medical device? What are some of the things uh, you would say that companies should consider if they are in the clinical trials of an AI-based software as medical device? So are, are you saying if a company is developing a drug and uh, they are doing clinical trials, how does AI impact them? No, I, I was wondering more about like if a company is in the clinical trials phase and they are developing an AI-based software as medical device, h- how should they plan that clinical trial versus like the traditional software as medical device with no AI? Yeah. Okay. So so I think what... what you are trying to say is uh, what uh, how how are you going to clinically validate your algorithm correct because because then yeah so ai has application in clinical trial of a drug which is a totally different topic of drug development but if you are talking about validating your clinical uh, clinically validating your algorithm yeah that's a huge piece of generating evidence for safety and efficacy of your device of your algorithm again you always treat them or always treat uh, these as medical devices like what do we do in medical device what do we do in traditional medical device so we make sure that the device is performing as it is intended in the clinical environment it was designed for so similarly for algorithms if you are developing an algorithm which at some point in the clinical workflow it's going to impact and it's going to make a difference, you have to validate it in that particular situation, in, in the real-life clinical situation. Once you develop your algorithm, you do all the tests that you would want to do in-house, you validate it in-house, you find the sensitivity, specificity, and you find out how the algorithm is performing in the population that you are intending the algorithm to be used. And once you do that, you feel like, okay, now I have developed something, I know my use case, and I, I know that it is performing well uh, on the bench, so to call the bench testing. And then you take the algorithm and you put it in the clinical setting. And then you see if the real world population that you are targeting, how, how is the algorithm performing in those populations? So, so that's, again, validating your algorithm in, on a data set that is completely independent from the data set that you have used to, to develop or, or to uh, train or test or tune your algorithm. Hmm. Okay. And and this might sound a silly question if I ask, but it's like if if a company or 
anybody that's doing clinical research in the med tech space, if they're using tools like ChatGPT for any part of clinical research, how do you even go about, from what I understand, ChatGPT is more like open source. There isn't like, it's not like a traditional software where you go and the vendor provides you. It's an open source. So how do you deal with even validating or showing that you've done some effort? Because it's it's there's no lock to it. It's open. Yeah, no, uh, Harsh, I think you are touching upon some really current topics and, and something which is a real buzz right now in the industry. There is not a single day in a few months that has gone by where I have not read some different application of chat GPT or, or in healthcare or outside. So there's a lot going on out there. But I think when you say chat GPT, uh, and let me just generalize it by saying the large language models, right? That's what we are talking about. The, the generative AI, which um, uh, large language model is a kind of generative AI. So chat GPT, the way it is right now, my answer is no. I, we we cannot we cannot use it uh, as a as a, uh, for any kind of medical purpose. Uh, of course, as you rightly pointed out, that there are so it has been trained on a data set. We don't know what it is trained on. There are several biases that have already been incorporated. Uh, that of course, you know, health information is pretty sensitive, and health information is uh, so. But there are a lot of privacy issues also. So there is a lot. There are a lot of unknowns in the current Chat GPT to be used in a healthcare setting or as a medical device. But if you talk about large language models, yes, there are applications of large language models in healthcare. Um, if you see Google recently announced um, this, uh, or, or they are uh, you know, working on testing this large language model called MedPalm, which is being trained on a lot of different uh, literature for uh, scientific literatures and a lot of different clinical information, which is specific to be used in, in a healthcare setting. So I think when, when the industry starts focusing on developing large language models, which are specifically targeted for healthcare, that's when the real question of whether it can be a medical device or not can be, you know, even considered. Because right now we, we are we are in the stages of development of such technology. Yes, because there's an exciting part and a nervous part to it because when you use something like ChatGPT, you can see that it is it is able to demonstrate that it works to give you the results to some extent, obviously depending on what you input into the chat GPT. But again, as you said, just because it's able to do maybe 60 or 70% of the job doesn't mean you start using it because there's there are no controls around it. And until if there are other models, like you gave the example of Google, that are specifically designed for the industry that have the controls that are transparent on what they have been trained on, like the literature and all, then maybe it, it you can justify that you're using that for doing. So I want to ask you a little bit about the regulatory side of it, right? So more around regulatory intelligence. So filing regulatory applications or even understanding what other observations or any violations that medical device manufacturers have got who try to either market or submit an application for SAMD or any other type. What do you think is the uh, role of AI in those kind of regulatory intelligence area? Like how, how do you think companies can use just to understand the regulatory intelligence, not product focus, but just what's going on in the world around these regulations? Yeah, no, of course, uh, th that, that's a good question. And um, yeah, for 
of course, as I said, you know, the applications has as a lot. There's a lot of applications uh, in 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 medtech, in biotech, in regulatory intelligence, in healthcare. But if you are using it for a purpose, if you are using any machine learning model for the purpose of gathering information, let's say, and you know, uh, making sure, oh, what is in that regulation? What you know, what, what was happened? What, uh, search for the database and see how many complaints are there for uh, one particular type of device or one particular type of code. All those things, yes, AI is greatly useful. Wherever there is data, wherever there is pattern recognition within data, of course, AI is going to be uh, of tremendous help. But again, the question comes to when you start using in a way that it is impacting the diagnosis or it is impacting the treatment of a patient, that's where you are crossing that line. That's where you are entering into a very highly regulated space. Okay, um, and, and uh, there's a lot of scrutiny uh, in this space. So you have to be cognizant. You have to make sure uh, that the the claims that you are making uh, that your AI can do, uh, where do they fall? Where do they fall in the categorization of whether you are uh, serving a medical purpose or you are serving an administrative purpose? And and I think that the regulatory intelligence piece, uh, typically given on the use based on the use case, will fall under the administrative purpose um, for for AI to be used. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And this is, uh, so another question I had for you is around uh, writing or, or creating regulatory submissions. I, my first job was in reg affairs. So I did a little bit of regulatory submissions, but then I moved into quality and compliance. And, you know, since then I haven't really done much in the regulatory submissions space, but have you seen any examples or uh, do you think AI uh, can be generative AI or large language models can be used to write regulatory, uh, you know, dossiers or submissions. Like, think of it like you, again, this, I don't have no, no idea about how medical device works, but this is my child brain thinking about this, where you go in and say, uh, this is a class of medical device that I'm developing. Here's some of the specs that I know uh, here's the co- uh, countries that I want to target for my product. And the AI spits out an outline of how you should write your regulatory submission and even tells you like what to fill out. Have you seen that companies do it or how far do you think, how soon do you think it's going to happen? It, it, it might happen. It might be happening right now. I mean, yeah. I can ask, I can ask uh, AI to generate an outline uh, for me um uh to uh to write a fight and case submission which is which is a yep. which is a kind of submission we do to fda uh to get clearance for these products uh because uh, there are outlines uh, there are uh guidance documents which are publicly available from fda um you know suggesting what should be the content and and what should be the uh kind of information that they are expecting so it's not a it's not a trade secret i mean it's some how to develop a submission, what to write in a submission, you can find plenty of guidance out there. Yep. The real the real skill or the real talent is how do you make that submission customized to your device, to your story, to your evidence. So um, each each submission is going to be different. Like, of course, you know, we, we claim equivalence in terms of uh, uh, the performance uh, because of the regulations. Uh, you know, we, we that's the kind that's that's how new class two devices are, uh, you know, introduced in the market. But 
in a regulatory submission there is a it, it's a story you know it's a story that you tell the regular the, the, the reviewer uh, that you know what is uh, what is the clinical problem you are solving um you know what is your what is your claim what is your intended use how you are supporting that intended use uh, what are the kind of validation studies that you have done that supports that intended use uh, you know and then there are a lot of details uh, in terms of as i mentioned earlier analytical validation you do something in house there is clinical validation uh, if somebody is going to interact with your device there needs to be usability uh, engineering study done because you know no matter you 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 pass everything but if the user is not able to use it then you know there uh, it, it's um, uh, the entire effort will go in vain so there are many things that goes into a regulatory submission so outline yes ai can generate an outline that this section needs to be here this content but um um whenever as a regulatory professional when i write a submission um it is also a combination of my own experience with fda earlier right because i know that oh you know what i have there is another submission where i work with fda this is the kind of information they are looking at this is the kind of information it is a combination of um, all the conversations i have had with different regulatory agencies different industry groups so uh, those are the kind of experiences those are the kind of uh, discussion that uh, um, i kind of put into a regulatory submission to make it flow and to have that uh, cohesive story uh, explained uh, in the submission so um maybe maybe a great uh, kind of uh, super generative ai can do that in future uh but right now i guess um you know you know the regulatory professional who can handle that flow um in a little bit better way as compared to ai right right and and that's that's the thing with uh you know people that i talk in this space is this is a common thread that Yes, there are a lot of AI tools available and there are more coming each week from small uh, tech startups or even big players like Microsoft and Google are making big moves uh, in the AI space. But there, the far future that you can just use AI without a human, I don't see that happening for a long, long time. And you gave a very good example about how your past conversations uh being in regulatory meetings or uh being you know talking to fda uh in those meetings and that experience or being in your past role going through an fda inspection you can put all those learnings into that submission which ai will fail if if it tries it cannot do because it doesn't know that right that's why it's artificial versus your brain which which is why people want to hire a person because of their past experience uh, in different companies so what i so, want to I think, ask Harsh, uh, you you actually you know to me um just wanted to sorry yeah. for interrupt but you touched upon a very good uh, point there when you mentioned human in the loop uh because um i think it is of great importance in healthcare um because if you see in healthcare it is all about when if you are a if you are a company making a device it's all about de-risking your device right you want to make sure that you are safe and effective and at the same time you are not uh, adding any new risk or creating uh, any any new risk so it's all about de-risking your device so if your device is an ai algorithm you want to make sure that uh, you know there is a human who is supervising the output of that ai and and you know making sure that uh, making sure that uh, you know it is correct 
or or making sure it aligns or, or you know just having a double check so having that human in the loop is currently a regulatory requirement or, or not requirement as in we don't have independent ai uh, taking diagnostic or decision or treatment decision we always have a healthcare physician looking at it and making sure that it is correct um, uh, so that's that's a that's a very important uh, de-risking strategy for your device to have a human in the loop right um, so it's it's the um, and when you validate such technology you are not not just validating um, the ai algorithm you are validating the team the combination of ai and human how they are performing versus a human alone so um, i i always uh, you know there, there is this one uh, one topic i was uh, listening to uh, one webinar and and someone mentioned that would you be comfortable to go in a flight which is completely uh, on autopilot uh, or would you like to go in a flight uh, where there is a pilot along with autopilot to to support so um, that that risk is uh, that the trust in ai is not at a point where it can independently uh, you know take any diagnostic decisions mm. that's that's a great point and th- this kind of brings me to a uh, question as you were talking about uh, the importance of human or the skills when you started your career you know 14 years back ai was not where it is today so the skills that you needed to get into regulatory your first regulatory role versus what a person that's graduating today from a master's program now they are faced with the challenge because they also need to understand you know the whole ai thing maybe they they don't care maybe they are not passionate about tech and to them it's a burden like wow i need to now know this to fight for for a job because the world is changing fast you, you see what, where i'm going with this so my question is for somebody who's new entering the regulatory industry whether it's pharma or biotech what kind of skills do they need to to get in addition to what you learned but more focused on the ai side what do they need to know so they can compete and get a job yeah yeah no that that's again it's a interesting question harsh what i believe is one of the important things that you need is a is an interest you need to be interested in this uh, otherwise if you are doing this for a job yes you can take couple of courses you can enroll into some certification program answer the interview questions and get a job but after a couple of years you won't be happy because that's not something you are interested in so having that interest is step 1 to be able to get somewhere in in this particular field and and it's not just this particular field for anything in my case yes i i my background of course i am an engineer by background and i've been working in in the medical device industry a lot in initially i worked on the hardware devices but i had a very keen interest on the ai side since the beginning initially i thought ai for me was all that they show in movies right mm. <laughs> uh, you know the ai is going to just uh, you know take over the world and so yep. it was just like a sci-fi it was like a fantasy science science fiction for me but around 2012 2013 when when they when the um, there was a lot of buzz about deep learning at that point and then there was some discussion or i i came across some discussion regarding the application of ai in healthcare and that's when like a switch flipped in me and i'm like oh wow this is this is combining what i have been doing for the long time and my interest 
right so so that combination kind of pushed me to to go deeper into it so i would say if if that interest is there you will find your way you will find courses you will find some kind of mentor who can help you you will start listening to podcasts like this yep, um yep. so so that's uh, that's all i would say you know for anyone who is coming out uh, out of the school right now there is a ton of information available out there um if you are interested um it will start coming your way yeah the and you know that's the thing with all the information sometimes it's hard to know what is noise versus what is the right signal and i feel like everything about ai is kind of now coming drinking from a fire you know a fire hose or whatever whatever that analogy is it's like that every day i open my computer there's another article and yeah so it's definitely a challenge for people who are coming in because they will have to get some additional skills and again there's a quote that i heard from this tech entrepreneur in silicon valley his name is naval ravikant and he says that the information is is abundant but the desire to learn is scarce right so <laughs> exactly 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 yeah. that that kind of ties to the point i was trying to make so yeah yeah so what do you what do you like doing outside of work when you're not defining regulatory strategies and reviewing regulatory documents <laughs> uh yeah i mean there's a of course there's a lot to life uh, other than other than this uh your daughter my little daughter she's going to turn uh, two years old so you know love spending time with her and i'm a big enthusiast of working out i have a, i have a gym built in my garage um, nice. so me and my family love taking walks and love uh, going on hikes uh, and then of course you know, we are getting into and in california at least you are starting to get into uh, the weathers where we can do something outside it was terrible since last few months with the weather yep yep i moved from california last year so uh, i do miss some some parts of living there uh, definitely not the the monthly expenses in north of carolina course. where i'm right now so i don't miss that but yeah food and just people on the west coast in in the biotech industry definitely miss connecting with them so we talked a lot about ai today and you, after leaving this episode and you know people who are who are going to listen to this uh what i want to ask you this question kind of to wrap things up as a regulatory professional are you happy with what's happening with ai or are you scared like where are you on that on that spectrum yeah so yeah and, and i i know i know I, i see all these articles about people getting worried about ai and in in on the other side of the spectrum where uh, but see everything everything uh, has to be like fda says or like in the regular everything there's a risk benefit ratio right there's a risk benefit ratio of every new technology of every new you know innovation that the industry does so of course it is very hard to ignore the risk that ai possess uh you know whether in healthcare and of course in healthcare the risk is um, amplified because we are dealing with uh, some uh, sensitive information and also of course we are dealing with patient's life so um, uh, so so a lot of amplification of the risk happens in ai but also in other sectors there are many risks that are there but at the same time there are benefits too so i believe that as we are kind of going on on this journey of developing ai there has to be a very close eye on what kind of regulations are we putting in there are we over regulating it or are we regulating it enough and what kind of guardrails do you have in place 
to make sure that we extract the benefit out of AI and, and of course, by uh, minimizing the risk. And and that's that's exactly what we do with everything else, all the other uh, technologies in healthcare. So AI is not going to be different. If we learn to take the benefit and make life easier for patients, uh, for providers, uh, and for the payers, that's for some extent, uh, you know, of course, it has a lot of benefit in, in AI, has a lot of benefit in healthcare. So I am, I would say, to answer your question on that spectrum, I'm more uh, fascinated and I'm more, uh, uh, you know, excited about the prospects of AI. Um, so I would be slightly on the optimistic uh, side uh, of the spectrum. Yeah, say, same here, because, you know, I just, I, I completely understand what you just said about the risks and that that's bound to happen with anything new that comes in we haven't seen anything new like this right i was listening to some other podcast and uh the 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 host on that podcast was saying you know i don't know like 30 40 years ago however long there was no such thing as email right or even when email first came out big executives weren't sitting and typing emails they had executive assistants or people in their office or somebody who was specialized to send emails but now today sending an email is second nature like you do it while walking to get your coffee or you know whatever right so the the point i'm trying to make is you know with the new technology like ai or whatever comes in the future i think human beings are designed to just adapt and and learn so i'm also optimistic that uh, you know as ai grows and different applications come in people will learn they will start getting new jobs that are more like you know like prompt engineer is now a job i saw on linkedin that it's you know 300 400k for for a prompt engineer in silicon valley to, to be honest even that's getting obsolete now there is a auto gpt there are there are uh, gpt agents uh, that can do the prompt engineering work. So, so I think it's it's going so fast, and and you're absolutely right that like the jobs. Uh, I mean, the people keep saying that, oh, will AI take my job, or uh, you know, will I be replaced by AI someday? I would say um, yes and no. Yes, AI will take some part of your job, which is uh, repetitive, which is menial, um, and that will free up time for you to do something or create a new job for yourself. Exactly. So, yep. kind of expanding to your role. So, I think AI is like a great assistant uh, right now that you can have uh, to to free up some time and and do what you like and do what matters uh, in your uh, in your area. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, do, do, can you think of any question that you thought I was going to ask you, but I didn't because you knew you knew coming in you were going to get. I know. A lot. <laughs> I know. I know. And and I was um I was like when you were talking about AI writing regulatory submission, I was like, oh, now he's going to ask me that. Hey, what do you think? Is AI going to take your job? Yeah. So, <laughs> but but you 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 did ask that question, but uh, I think you you kind of touched upon it a little bit by saying if I can write uh, if the AI can write regulatory submission. Yeah, and you defended that very well. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, it, it's in line. I mean, if AI can take my job, AI should take my job. That's what I feel. You know, if um, uh, right now it's a good assistant, um, which frees up my time to make a strategy for a submission, and rather than worrying about the format, the fonts, the the grammar or anything, so it, it helps me kind of you know take a very big picture approach uh, and have AI like an assistant helping me. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, man, thank you so much for, for coming on. This was a great conversation. I loved uh, hearing 
all your insights and uh, where can people connect with you after the show if they want to talk about any projects or any interesting collaboration or just learn more about this topic what's the best way to connect with you sure no I, i'm i'm happy to talk to people uh, you know just connect with me on linkedin uh, and and as you um, and as you can see you know i'm i'm very interested in this topic and uh, you know would love to catch up on any kind of questions you have or any kind of discussion you would like to have yeah thank you so much vivek i appreciate your time and uh, wish you all the best with everything thank you thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode Check out the show notes in the description for a full episode summary with all the important links. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.